the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guests, Allison Muller, Nick Briscoe, and Nick Rishway. Plus, Rachel Ziegler joins us for a segment of The Rest of Us. And then, I tell you about all the other stuff we cover, but they won't let me talk about it. So first, here's your host, Jared Correa. It's time for the Legal Toolkit Podcast, everyone. That sound you just heard was um, not a trumpet. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though my plunge router can no longer do a damn thing about a dovetail joint. Looking through a glass onion. Yeah. I'm your host, Jerry Korea. You're stuck with me because Ann Robinson was unavailable. Turns out, I'm the weakest link. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at GideonLegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with two Nicks and an Allison, experts all, I want to talk about how you can access some more expertise in your practice. Everyone who achieves something great has a great mentor. I mean, just look at Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Wait, that's a bad example. Uh, or how about Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft? Uh, fuck, I am not good at this. Okay, um, maybe John Wooden and whoever coached UCLA after John Wooden left. Uh, all right, that might be enough with analogies. But what I do know is that I have lawyers constantly asking me about mentors. And it might surprise you which lawyers are asking. Not just young lawyers, totally green, starting out in practice, clueless dodos. No, I also hear from senior attorneys who are looking for mentors in new practice areas or help with complex issues in practice areas that they already know. And really, any lawyer who is dealing with a new issue, even inside of those familiar practice areas, is likely to try to find someone who has dealt with the matter before to bounce ideas off of. Plus, I found that attorneys are looking for mentors outside of those more traditional, substantive legal questions, too. Some lawyers are seeking mentors inside of or outside of their practices to bounce business ideas off of. So maybe your attorney who's looking for a current practicing attorney as a business mentor. That's totally worthwhile, too. Or maybe you don't need an ongoing relationship with a mentor. Perhaps there's an attorney you know who's done one thing particularly well. They built a great team, so you want to get some hiring tips or suggestions for retaining your best employees. Or they developed an amazing website and you want to drill down on how they conceived of putting that all together. Or maybe someone you know is just really good at handing out referrals and you like their process a whole lot. You want to pick their brain about it. And that brings up an interesting divergence, which is that most attorneys, when they talk about mentors, are more or less looking for other attorneys, even if they don't have to limit themselves in that way. If you need or want assistance with business management matters, though, there's no reason you can't reach out to a successful business owner in a related or even an unrelated field. Managing a business for attorneys at base is not all that different from managing a general business. You've just got to pay attention to the ethics questions, too. It's a bummer. I know. 
So there's a lot of reasons why you would or could access mentors. However, the biggest issue in looking at working regularly with mentors is that these folks you want to engage with in that mentor relationship are generally pretty busy because they're also successful. In many cases, they're probably doing what you want to be doing going forward. And while every mentor goes into a mentoring relationship with desire to be really helpful and to make themselves available, that availability question can become problematic at times. So it's often the case that if you rely on a single mentor, you can get left hanging as the attorney who's supposed to be mentoring you is too busy running their own profitable law practice to do so. What then is an industrious attorney to do with his or her learning shoes affixed and ready to roll? Well, stop relying on just one mentor. I usually find that when lawyers are looking for mentors, they lock in on a single person a veritable font of information who will answer all of your questions about the law and legal practice. But that's kind of a lot of pressure to put on just one person, too. And if you've only got one mentor, that's the only person you can call. And you don't want to burn that person out, frankly. Plus, there's that availability issue that I just mentioned above. But with all the different categories and a mentee you could seek information on from a mentor, why not select several different mentors, multiple mentors, including those who could address specific areas of expertise. You can even categorize your mentors into niche areas, same as you do with your practice areas. So you've got a substance practice mentor, you've got a business management mentor, and maybe even several of each. If you instead engage a circle of mentors rather than just one mentor, you're more likely to find the people with acute experience in certain areas you'd like, and also more likely to gain answers to your questions when and as you need them. Now, if somebody's like, do you want to participate in a circle jerk? That's a totally different thing. Speaking of expertise, find out how our sponsors can expertly help you in your law practice. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Contract automation isn't a trend, it's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation, at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Okay, everybody, let's get back to it. We're in the meat, in the middle of this legal sandwich. Today's meat is beyond meat, or is it? In any event, let's get rolling. It's time to interview our guests. We have lots of guests today because this is our experts roundtable. That's right. We're talking with some folks from the expert witness community. We have never done this before, so it could be a total disaster, but I have high hopes. So let's build out our Homeric catalog here. 
First, we've got Allison Muller from Acri Muller Consulting. Then we've got Nick Briscoe from Briscoe Economics Group. And then, last but not least, we have another Nick with us. Just in the nick of time, that's Nick Rishwain from Experts.com. All right, don't worry, everybody. I'll call on you, but thanks for coming into the show. Allison, I want to start with you. Hello. Thanks for coming in. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thank you for inviting me to your kickoff expert witness episode. Yeah, maybe we'll do more. I don't know. If this goes well, we can do additional segments. So, Oh, there's a lot of pressure now. Yeah. 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 You guys do fine. Don't worry. All right. So, Allison, would I be fair to categorize you as a toxicology expert? Is that the right term of art? Or is it that broader That is the than right that? term. Okay. All right, that was a total guess on my part. I just want to confirm with everybody that we didn't talk about this beforehand. So what does that mean in the context of what you do generally and also what you do as an expert witness? So a toxicologist specializes in the science of poisons, right? So we're, you know, like the naysayers always giving the bad news about the harmful things that drugs can do to people or, of course, chemicals or environmental toxins, my original training is, at a far, as, is as a pharmacist, huh. um, but as a toxicologist, which has been what I've been practicing for you know, the bulk of my career, it's all about the harmful things that these substances can do to people. And so in my capacity as an expert witness, the question, whether it be a medical malpractice case or a criminal case involving drugs or alcohol, how did these drugs, how did these substances affect this person? How did it affect how they were thinking? How did it harm them? How did it affect their driving? So it's um, really a subspecialty and for what I originally studied for, and that was to become a pharmacist. Huh, so interesting. Why did you move off the pharmacy stuff? Just get tired of working behind the counter? You're like, you know, I, I really be didn't office. work behind the counter. No, and, okay. You know, when, when I started pharmacy school, I knew I didn't want to do that, which sounds kind of <laughs> odd. Like, why did I go to pharmacy that's, school? That's everyone I... who went to law school, I feel like. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, that's an interesting. We'll have to have a side conversation about that. Yes. But I knew I didn't want to work in the corner drugstore, so to speak. I did that in high school, you know, as a pharmacy technician. And, you know, I had to do that for thousand some hours during pharmacy school to get my license. But I always saw pharmacy as something that would be, you know, a prelude to something else. Like I didn't know if I wanted to go to medical school or I wanted to go to veterinary medicine school or what I wanted to do. But I knew that pharmacy school would be really a great fit for me because it gave me so many options. And yeah. I'm a science nerd, I have to say. So I knew I was going to enjoy <laughs> studying what you have to study to become a pharmacist. That's excellent. All right. I just learned a lot about you. This is exciting. Okay. So I got to ask you because like as somebody who was a former pricing lawyer, people would ask me all kinds of crazy shit about the law. They'd be like, I have this legal problem. What do you think? And I'm like, you're not paying me. <laughs> <laughs> so do people ask you crazy questions? Some shit like, um, hey, hypothetically, how much arsenic would it take to kill my husband? Like, do people do stuff like that to you or no? They absolutely do. They're usually not that specific. They're asking for a friend, like just asking for a friend. Um, if I did cocaine on Saturday night, would would this friend fail a drug test on Thursday? Or what's the best way to kill somebody if you're going to poison them and it won't be detected? You know, questions like this, and it's like. Uh, that's an interesting question. You're yeah, like, but that's it's tremendous. Always, it's always for a friend. Yeah, I'm deleting my con your contact from my phone right now, but I'll get back <laughs> to you on that. Um, <laughs> Allison, that was excellent. All right, Nick, we're moving on to Nicholas Briscoe, who 
I think what we're referring to in this show is Nikki B of 98 Degrees. <laughs> your your words. <laughs> <laughs> because we got two Nicks on the show today. Nick, you're an economics consultant, which is really funny to me because lawyers hate math with the fire of a thousand suns. So can you, for a legal audience, explain as simply as possible what it is that you do and how you work as an expert witness? Yes, I'm a, an economist in the sort of, sort of the the subfield of uh, economics is forensic economics. I act as an expert or consultant in um, a majority of my practice is wage and hour class action yep. cases. And those uh, listening attorneys in California will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, in other states, it might not be a, as uh, uh, many cases out there. Yeah. But I focus on uh, yeah calculating, doing the data analytics and the wage and hour class actions. And then I do a variety of sort of damage calculations and other types of cases, such as personal injury or business damages, employment terminations, and and to top it off, some uh, fraud investigation, forensic accounting. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of stuff. You said the A word too, analytics. So hopefully I haven't lost people. Yes. <laughs> so when you say forensic accounting, what does that mean? Like, because that's not, uh, forensic forensic economics. Excuse me. What does that mean? I don't think I've ever heard that term before. The uh, I guess the the definition would be applying economic principles in a in a law setting with dealing with the case law that you have to acknowledge when you're doing sort of analysis. But in 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 general, I'd say forensic economics, forensic accounting are sort of very similar, and it's it's doing those types of those cases that I that I referenced. So when you're working with law firms, it seems to me that part of the role would be not only to crunch the numbers, but to also explain the numbers to the law firm in a way that makes sense to them. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah. And whenever I uh, bring out my spreadsheet, I, I see the glaze in the eyes <laughs> come over. <laughs> so I definitely have to um, present the numbers in a, a easy way to understand both to the client and also if I'm testifying to a jury. Right. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more down the line. So I, I've heard people tell me that you're a fun economist. What does that mean? Do you make like John Maynard Keynes look like an asshole or something? How does economists have fun? Uh, well, I have a lot of fun doing data. And that's the difference between probably me and you. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's move Spreadsheets now are, to... uh, are my jam here. All right. Let's move to Nick. Rishwain, who I have to say, like, it's tragic that I have not had you on the show until now. That's my bad. It is tragic, Jared. I feel, I feel like I an want asshole. you to feel shame for that. Yeah, I'm really like red faced right now. So let me yeah. ask you this. So I, I was going to say that we have a bunch of non lawyers stacked up on the show, but that's not true. You are a lawyer. And I have never practiced law. I went we, to law school. You're a smart I, lawyer. Right, right. <laughs> I went to law school and then I went into legal technology. All right, so I got I got one question for you before we start. I was I was okay. scrolling through your LinkedIn profile today, and I noticed you went to Santa Clara Law School. And for I the first was, year yeah. for the first year. I, I was remembering. Only there. Oh, yeah. all right. So it was bad. Hopefully, yeah. no one from Santa Clara is listening. Yeah. Okay, so like you maybe can direct me a little bit. When I was applying for law school, I applied to Santa Clara solely on the basis that they had a fifteen to one female to male ratio at the school. Interesting. Time. I don't so. recall that. I don't recall that. <laughs> All right. So I feel good about my choices now. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> so Nick R., like, you don't necessarily work as an expert, but you assist experts. So can, can you talk about what you do? Because you've taken your legal degree and done something entirely different with it. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah, I don't work as an expert. I guess in in a strange enough litigation about expert witnesses, I could be called. <laughs> but the litigation would have to be. We're getting very meta witnesses. here, sir. Then I guess I could be called. But uh, essentially, what I do is I promote people like Nick, uh, Nikki B, and and Allison. <laughs> Uh, Nick, Nick, got, Nick Briscoe is never going to forgive me for this. I sorry, know, go on, I Nick. Know, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> It'll be memorable, though. I promise. It will be memorable. Uh, yeah. So that's <laughs> what I do. We we market uh, economists and toxicologists and hundreds of other areas of expertise, uh, and we also assist lawyers in locating those. Uh, so we have kind of a, a twofold marketplace, and 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 that is primarily what we do. Not, not just expert witnesses, but consultants as well. I'm supposing that for both Nick uh, and Allison, the expert witness portion of what they do is a, is just a portion of their practice. And there are other services they may offer that are, are consulting services to business or, or pharmacies or something like that. Usually, usually expert witness experience or, or work, uh, expert witness practice is a portion of a larger consulting practice. Uh, they yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, I think that's so, right for both. Of you so guys, we do right? both, we do both consultants and expert witnesses. That's super interesting. So you're placing people in both categories. That makes a ton placing, of sense. Placing, promoting, marketing. Yes, that's what we do. Let me turn back to Nick Briscoe and Allison for a moment here. And uh, Nick, let's start with you this time, Nick Briscoe. How do you make the move from just consulting, because I'm sure that's where you started, to becoming an expert witness and doing that work? Is it because people are reaching out and asking you to do it? Do you do that as like a conscious choice? Like how'd that come about for you? Because I'm sure some people are listening who are non-lawyers and they're like, oh, you know, that might be something I could do from working with law firms. Yeah, you know, for me, it was... Um my first job out of grad school <laughs> happened to be in this field. So I kind of uh, got, got thrown into it. You're like, this is um, good. I'll keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> to an economic, you know, first job was economic consulting firm. So I have, you know, a unique path where I just started. A lot of economists in my field start in academia and then start getting, you know, asked to, because they're part of the university, uh, asked to do cases or do consulting and it sort of builds from there. So that's a sort of popular track. If I'm at one of my association events or something, a lot of folks are, are from academia. So it just kind of happened naturally. You weren't, when you were in school or when you started, you weren't thinking about, hey, this could be a nice angle where I could generate some more revenue. Correct. Yeah. I didn't, I really knew, know that the field existed in terms of, you know, consulting on, on law cases. I think we've determined that school is somewhat useless at this point in terms of building <laughs> your career out. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Kids, stay in school. Um, Allison, same thing for you? Did you kind of fall into it or were you just like consciously planning to do this? No, I had I had it in the back of my mind. I mean, I was a practicing toxicologist at a full-time academic medical center for almost two decades. And since I was director of the Poison Control Center there, I would have lawyers that would call me to do expert witness work. And I wasn't able to do it in the current role, that current role, um, for a lot of reasons, you know, time running a busy Poison Control Center and possibly conflict of interests with the medical center. So I didn't do expert witness work then, but I kind of had it in the back of my mind 
mind that, you know, this is a really valuable service that a toxicologist and other experts can provide because really it's all about teaching the science in a completely unbiased way. And I really enjoy teaching. So when I went out on my own to start my consulting company, I originally was doing the majority of work as a medical writer and as a medical director for medical and pharmacy education programs around the country. And then I would take on expert witness cases as they would come across. Then I needed to put myself out there more. You know, people aren't going to find me just sitting at my desk, you know. So, (laughs) um, you know, once I started putting out there that I'm doing expert witness work, you know, one way or another, then I was able to build on that. And, you know, it's been nine years in January since I started my consulting practice. And now, you know, over half of my work is expert witness work. um, And the remainder is teaching and doing medical writing. Nine years in January? Yep. 2024. Congratulations. Everybody remember to send Allison chocolates at that time. Oh, thank Um, you. You also do a bunch of continuing legal education programs for bar associations, right? That's one of the big marketing tracks that you run. So can you talk to me a little bit about that and how viable that is for your business? I mean, I do those programs, those CLE programs for a few reasons. I mean, one, I really like to teach, but also, you know, a lawyer who's looking for an expert witness, especially a toxicologist, I can't speak for other disciplines, really wants to know, can this person teach really complex and sometimes downright boring concepts and keep a jury (laughs) awake, interested, and have them understand what they're learning? So if I just have my name on a piece of paper as an expert witness, they might not know, hmm, can Dr. Mueller put two sentences together and really engage in a jury in her explanation? Whereas if I do a one-hour CLE and they come away with, wow, I, I learned at least one pearl from this. And you yeah. know, this complicated science really makes sense to me. And I might have actually enjoyed sitting through this one-hour CLE. Then it's more likely that they would think of me when they have a case that involves drugs or alcohol. That's great. And um, I know that a lot of bar associations are looking for helpful CLEs like that. Now, Nick Briscoe, you're also doing CLE presentations as well, right? So you're open to that work. How does that fit within your marketing plan? Yeah, I think I think CLEs or being part of panels um, is a great way to sort of get your name out there. And like Allison said, um, just have someone hear you speak and explain things rather than just see um, your resume or, or website or whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like getting involved in those, uh, you know, bar session CLEs or panels or, you know, wherever, wherever I can uh, speak. A lot of times now, you know, back before COVID, I guess it was always, you know, you had to travel there and, and it was a whole sort of whole day of thing. And, and now it's pretty easy yeah. to just, uh, do a webinar. Um, so it makes that sort of avenue a lot uh, more accessible. It's fantastic. And as the fun economist, I would imagine that you're presenting CLEs <laughs> while drinking a dry martini or something. That's how I envision you, at least. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move back to Nick Rishwain for a second here. Yes. Nick, I'm, I think you would be particularly expert in answering this question, pun intended. Um, nice, I like it. In addition to directory profiles, like what should law firms be looking at to choose an expert? Like, How do you pick somebody? So the CV is probably the most important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'll say for the experts who are on here today, the best thing to do if you have your CV online is put a wa- watermark on it, call it unofficial or not yet mm. retained. Uh, mm. Go change that because there are some scummy lawyers who will 
pull the CV and use it uh, with without actually retaining you. So make it hard. Make them have to contact you and retain you. That's a great uh, tip. Be- before they uh, get an actual hard copy, the CV is probably the most important. But yeah, they're gonna look at your directories, and and so we always recommend that you be on more than one directory because they may go looking for the usual suspects. Other things that they'll look at is your LinkedIn profile, your website. And a website's really important to have these days. I know there are experts out there who do not have an expert practice website. I think that's, I think it's still important. I don't think attorneys go to them as often as experts believe. If they find them on LinkedIn or Google or something, they're probably not going there for information as much as they're going there to see that they have a website. Like, okay, yeah. this person yeah. well-rounded. They care enough about their business to build a website. To have a website. That's what I think uh, is the big thing. Like, if they found all the information they need through a directory like ours or or even, you know, a broker has pre-vetted the experts for them, right. they'll probably find enough of the information that they want in that, but show having the website shows they care enough about their business. But also, I mean, if you've got your own website and you're, and you're putting it up, I'm just changing hats back to marketing experts, you know, put some content on there. You know, Mm. if you're going to do it, you might as well try and and game the SEO a little bit for yourself. Uh, Right. But yeah, I mean, those are the, those are predominantly the things that attorneys are looking at. Uh, awesome. They want to see if the expertise fits. They really like to know if this this person has had a case similar to the one that they have currently, uh, where they're currently in need of an expert. But think about those items is probably where they're looking most. That's great. Um, all right, Allison, Nick, I'm going to ask you to a different question, which is what do you look for in working with a law firm? Like how do you build successful relationships with attorneys? And Allison, I'll start with you first. So, right. They're not only vetting me, but I'm vetting them. It's kind of like, do we have good chemistry, so to speak? Do we kind of have the same philosophy as to what the expert's role is in a case? And so the attorney who expresses the notion that me as the expert is an advocate for the case, we're not going to have good chemistry because I always say, "I, I don't win cases, I don't win. I don't win cases. I don't lose cases either. That's what the attorney does. My role and my only role is to teach the science, right? So that's what both sides of a case want. They want to understand the science. They're just hoping for a different answer. So that's a big thing that I'm looking for with attorneys. If the attorney really thinks that I'm going to win the case, they're expecting things that I just don't do. Nick Briscoe, you get the last word here. How do you like to work with attorneys? No pressure. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like to be jammed on time. <laughs> yeah. Last minute yes. requests are, are very difficult and I often will turn it down. Um, <laughs> it's not, not fun to do those projects. All right. And unfortunately, we are currently jammed on time and we're done with this segment. And in our last minute, let me thank Nick Rashwain, Nick Briscoe, and Allison Muller for coming on the show today. Thank you all. You're all awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are so orderly. That's how I know you're experts. I thought you were going to talk all over yourself and I could laugh, but didn't happen. Thanks, everybody. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Simplify. 
With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are again. Yes, at the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. That's right. It's the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Well, that's simple, because I'm the host. Last episode, I talked about my new favorite show, The Last of Us on HBO. But now, in a rump roast segment, I'm calling The Rest of Us. We're going to talk about another HBO show, because why not? HBO has a lot of good shows, traditionally, like The Sopranos and The Wire. This may come as a shock to everyone listening, but this is actually a legal show. Yes, hope you're seated. We're actually going to talk about the law on The Legal Toolkit. It's true. So to help me here, I brought on a real-life lawyer. That's Rachel Ziegler. Rachel, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jared. All right. So I talked a little bit about Last of Us last time. I want to talk about Perry Mason this time. But before we get into that, like, did you watch The Last of Us at all? Yeah, I did. The Last okay, of I, Us was fantastic. Everybody I talk to thinks it's great. But you've got an interesting thing that you do which I love, which I wish more lawyers would do, which is that you write blog posts like a standard lawyer would, except you also include like pop culture references in those posts as well. So can you talk a little bit before we get into Perry Mason about like how you do that, why you decided to do that, and how you keep coming up with topics? Because I think a lot of people are interested in that. Well, I, I think the truth is that I find estate planning and estate administration to be fun. Most of the time. Wait, um, is, this, is this an elaborate joke? You're serious? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of references in pop culture, if you're listening, to estate planning. Yep. I mean, I think those that can be funny find the funny in it. Now, you, you, you've come up with something that I think are interesting. Isn't there like a Dave Chappelle thing that happened with estate planning? And then um, Philip Seymour Hoffman didn't have a will, right? Like, have you written about those things? Or can you give an example of a couple of things you've written about? So what you're talking about is celebrities who die without estate plan documents. Yeah, which is a whole genre unto itself, right? Follow from that. That's a thing that happens regularly, right? Do you do you want to expound on that a little bit, or? Yeah. So who was it? Was Aretha Franklin died intestate? Really? Years ago, right? Which means dying without a will in place. 
But what did they later discover? A draft of a will or an old copy of a will underneath a couch cushion in her house or something of that nature? (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. And I suppose that stuff happens regularly. Yeah. Because you see that on the news every now and then. All right. Let's talk about the show on HBO, Perry Mason, which like, I'm, I got to tell you, like, I try my best to hate legal shows because I talk with lawyers all day. I'm kind of in the legal space and I'm like, I just need a break. But I actually like this show a lot. So can you give folks kind of like the summary of what it is? Because I know you've watched it as well. And I caught up last night. I'm up to date on season two, I believe, episode three. I know everything you're talking about. You can speak freely. No spoilers. Yeah, so Perry Mason is an HBO show. Season one came out in 2020. I'm guessing season one was filled pre-pandemic. I would think so, yeah. And so there was quite a delay in season two, which was released a few weeks ago. So this is the, you know, same Perry Mason character that was the main character in the serial shows in the 1950s and 60s, which... I watched on Nick at Night. My my mother was obsessed with legal TV shows. <laughs> I think it was her wish to be a lawyer. And so Oh, and she look, now those. it's happening through you. <laughs> yeah, so I watched those Perry Mason reruns in the 1980s on Nick at Night. But this is a very different Perry Mason character than the yeah. Raymond Burr character from that series. He was a, you know, established lawyer. This is kind of an origin story. So we basically go back like 20 years in his life and his career, and we see him at the very beginning. So Matthew Reese, who was in The Americans, is Perry Mason. And then the rest of the cast is pretty good, too. Not necessarily actors whose names you'd know, but I think they do a pretty good job. And then it's Robert Downey's production company that's doing this, which is cool. The lawyer portrayals are interesting. Um, in John Lithgow was in season one and played right, sort of the right. old lawyer that employed Mason as a private investigator. He sort of at that tail end of his career probably overstayed his welcome in the legal community a bit. So I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, we have the first season, he's like a private investigator, not yet an attorney. But by the second season, he's actually trying yeah. cases. Second season's ongoing right well, he now. Takes the, right, doesn't he, he goes and takes the bar exam at the end of season one and becomes a lawyer. Okay. Apparently, you didn't have to go to law school back then. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. Because it's set in the, that's yeah. the other thing we should mention. It's set in the 30s, right? I think the early 30s, hey. 1930s in LA. Yeah. So, what do you think about the lawyer portrayals? Like, do you think they're accurate? Or do you think it's, I mean, how, how it's dramatized, obviously, but how dramatized is it? Does it pretty well establish the life of an attorney? I don't know. I don't know what the life of an attorney was like in the early 1930s. All right, that's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, what I see in this season is Mason getting his practice off the ground. Right, and you've done that before, right? Yeah, a lot of the same things that I and other solo and small firm practice attorneys have struggled with. (laughs) And interestingly, with the same sort of reluctance and maybe even a tad bit of regret <laughs> um, about it. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of regret in the second season, for sure. <laughs> so what do you think of the show overall? Like, how would you rate it? Like, what would you give it out of 10? Or would you give it two thumbs up? Like, you recommend other attorneys watch this, right? You like it. Yeah, I think it's a great show. And I think season two has been a lot better than season one, too. Really? really? Okay, I had the opposite opinion. 
Maybe I find the, really? the courtroom stuff to be uh, boring. I thought season one was more action-packed. This is a lot more like traditional Perry Mason court scenes kind of thing. Like the judge is like riding him, and then he's like, oh, but what about this, Your Honor? <laughs> oh, except for that, the, the, the court scenes with the grocery store owner are interesting, played by Sean, Sean Astin. Yes, of Goonies. Yeah. Lord of the Rings fame. Yeah, he's a grocery shop owner this season. That's right. He'll probably be a recurring yeah, I bet he'll come back. Who's uh, got apparently very deep pockets to pay his attorneys. Right. And, and Mason very reluctantly represents him. But I think yes. by the end realizes, you know, it's a good engagement and he can do other things if he takes it on. He Everybody needs to find a seedy grocery store owner that they can get a classic retainer from. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, listen up. Yeah. <laughs> so am I correct in saying that like the new episodes are coming out weekly at this point? It's not one of these shows that's released all at once. Yeah, I think so. And and they're and HBO's releasing them on Monday nights. Monday nights. Okay. Which I think is strange. That is strange. Okay. So Rachel, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your take on Perry Mason. I tell everybody out there, like, if you're sad because The Last of Us has ended and you're waiting for your next show, check out Perry Mason Mondays on HBO. It's a really good show. Rachel, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. If you want to find out more about our guests from today, this is how you'll do it. Find out more about Allison Muller from Acri Muller Consulting Group at acrimullerconsulting.com. That's A C R I. M-U-L-L-E-R consulting.com acrimullerconsulting.com Find out more about Nick Briscoe from Briscoe Economics Group at briscoeconomics.com That's B-R-I-S-C-O E-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-S Two E's in the middle briscoeconomics.com Find out more about Nick Rishwain from experts.com Well, look at that at experts.com How odd Lastly, but not leastly, from the Rump Roast, find out more about Rachel Ziegler from Ziegler Legal Services, LLC, at ZieglerLegalServices.com. That's Z-I-E-G-L-E-R-L-E-G-A-L-S-E-R-V-I-C-E-S. ZieglerLegalServices.com. Now, for those of you listening in Paradox, Colorado, we've whipped up an excellent playlist for you. That's right. Since we've talked with a bunch of experts this episode, we've got songs about Smarties. No, not the candies, just the people and the things. Now, I've run out of time on this particular episode, but at some point I'd like to explore whether the rumors about there being a Majestic 12 program are true. Wait, who's that man in the bushes outside my house? This is Jared Korea reminding you that the aliens are... If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. 
lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.